it's Kim Winter from Logistics Executive Group. Welcome to our Digitech vodcast series. So this is a series where we explore the digital and technological trends impacting supply chains. If you're interested in digitization, the trends around that and want to get a head start into the future proofing of your supply chain, this is probably the place to be. We aim to bring you insights so you can get an edge on what's going on in the general tech world, so you can be considering things across the whole value chain. So today, I'm uh, bringing in two industry experts. Very pleased to be joined uh, today by Dan Quinn, General Manager of TradeShift. Hey, Dan, how are you going? Hey, Kim, great to be here, thank you. And thank you for joining us. And uh, you're from TradeShift Middle East. We're gonna hear a lot about your organization today. And uh, also riding shotgun with me today is my colleague, Mark Litton from uh, Logistics Executive Group in Dubai. Hey, Mark, how are you going? Hey, Kim. Thank you very much for the introduction. It's a good to be here today. Good to see you. Hey, Mark, I'm going to let you take over and do the intros and, uh, and find out a little bit more about Dan and TradeShift. Well, uh, Kim, I know digital transformation is a, a hot topic uh, and everyone's talking about pivots, about moving from manual to automated processes, cloud software. And we just thought it would be interesting if we could uh, talk about different uh, digital trends that are happening uh, in supply chain and in the uh, business world, um, mainly um, so that we can clarify the whole digitization conversation so that if there's those decision makers out there, such as CFOs, CTOs, CEOs, the ones that don't have the time to do all the detailed research, but need to make critical decisions. They need sort of a high level view of what's happening um, with digitization, cloud software, uh, IT networks, that we could bring in some experts and discuss those topics and get some clarity on it. Um, so that's why uh, today I've invited Dan along. Um, so yeah, Dan, can you just introduce uh, yourself, where you're from, uh, how you ended up in the Middle East, and maybe a little bit about what TradeShift does? Sure, thank you, Mark. Um, pleasure to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me. Yeah, a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm the general manager for TradeShift in the Middle East. I've been doing business in the Middle East for, oh, I don't know, 11 or 12 years, give or take. Um, and I've lived out here in the UAE based out of Dubai for the last five years or so. Uh, and as you say, yes, I'm the general manager for, uh, for TradeShift in the Middle East. Uh, it's a relatively recent region for us. We've been up and running now for two years and uh, it's, it's, it's going really well, touch wood. So uh, uh, somehow we've managed to survive a pandemic and still do well, which is uh, good news. Excellent. So, um... What we want to talk about, we want to uh, look at what are the current digital trends in supply chain. I know there's a lot talked about uh, paperless process, uh, digital engagement, big data. I saw stats um, the other day that said that we've got nine times more data being produced in the last two years. So between 2019 and 2021, nine times more data that's been produced. Uh, Produced. So that, that's a, a lot of server power that's needed, a lot of new softwares. What are you seeing happening in the market, Don? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's an interesting time, no doubt. Um, you know, the, the the old saying is kind of a bit of an insult. May you live in interesting times, and we're we're, gonna, we're definitely there at the moment. So you know, we're we're seeing a whole bunch of interesting things. Um, uh, organizations that really had kind of put digitalization to one side and had taken the view that, you know, that's for someone else or we'll get around to it eventually have had a rude awakening in the last year or so. So all of those organizations that that, that thought it wasn't for them are now prioritizing it. It's high on the agenda. Uh, and they realize that in order to survive and to hope to thrive uh, in an environment like we've seen in 2021, um, you know, you need to automate processes, you need digital scale. And uh, you need to kind of take paperwork and clunky processes out of it. So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of interest from um, from big organisations and even some of the laggards that you would uh, not necessarily expect. What about, I hear a lot about AI, um, autonomous software. Um, what, what, do you, what are you seeing happening around that, um, especially in your own field? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of hype about uh, artificial intelligence. It's, um, you know, it's, it's been around for a long time. It's been around for decades, but really it's kind of coming to uh, to, to, to a new height at the moment as, uh, as processing power and, uh, you know, computers become so much more powerful, big data becomes so much more available. So it's, it's, it's interesting. We're going to see lots and lots more of it. I mean, one of the, 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 the big kind of scare factors we tend to hear about in the press is, replacing everybody's jobs and things like that and that's really kind of talking about artificial general intelligence so you know it's going to be a long time i think before that appears and you can really kind of hope to replace uh, or, or even you know uh, replicate the kind of the thinking processes of a human being so i think probably for the near future it will pick up some of the more mundane data processing and pattern recognition jobs but i think it's probably quite some time before it's going to put us all out of work i think it's what we're more likely to see is a mixture of human and machine and um, you know essentially human beings insight and adaptability and uh, you know combined with that pattern recognition and that processing speeds that uh, ai and machine learning so yeah, it's here to stay, but uh, not quite going to take over the world for a little while yet. Hey Dan, we—I'll uh, just jump in, Mark. Dan, at the top of the show, we uh, we had a bit of a chat off screen about uh, trade shift, and I've got a bit of familiarisation about what you guys are up to. Maybe for our audience, uh, you can just give a big head, a big overhead, overview on um, on problems you're looking to solve and, and what consumers you're aiming at. Sure, it'd be a pleasure. Um, uh, probably the, the, the most interesting place to start is to take it back a, a decade or so. And uh, our, our three founders, three crazy and, and super smart Danes, uh, were taken on by the Danish government to, uh, to create, I think it was either the first or one of the world's first e-invoicing networks. So digitally connecting the Danish government with, uh, with all of its suppliers. And, and, it, and it, was, it was a huge success uh, and it planted the seeds really for what became trade shift. I mean, to give you an example of why it was a success, you know, over a decade later, 95% of the suppliers in Denmark are still using that technology and it's, it's kind of working fine. Wow. But it planted the seeds and created this vision of, uh, of trade shift. And, uh, and, and the guys learned three really important things while working on that project. So number one, they realized that suppliers are absolutely key to success of, uh, of any supply chain project. You know, you need to onboard them, you need them to buy into it and getting their commitment is critical, not only for the business case, but you know, the su success of the project. The second thing they learned is that, you know, 
really you need to be able to motivate those suppliers to want to participate. You need to offer them a carrot, not a stick, and it needs to be kind of free and easy. And the third thing they learned is that uh, Copenhagen in the winter is, uh, is, is, is a difficult place to set up a business working from a garage. So, uh, so we're now headquartered. So our heart is probably still in, in, Co in Copenhagen and in Europe, but our head is now in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, and mo many of our C-level execs are all based in San Francisco. So it's kind of a very kind of different approach. But, you know, essentially what we do is we digitally connect buyers and suppliers around the world. And, 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 and our intention is to add value for all, which is quite unique. You know, most of our competitors are very buyer-centric organizations. And it's about, you know, I'm the buyer. Here's the stick. If you want to work with me, come and join and ours is much more about creating a, a strong value proposition for, for all of those parties, including suppliers. And essentially, we help uh, organizations you know, digitize, um, you know, develop more, much more efficient processes, uh, automate to save them time and money, and, and, and help their businesses grow by allowing their business to, to, to scale, uh, and at the same time, kind of reducing costs. We work with all sorts of organizations around the world, all sorts of shapes and sizes. Some of the big names are people like Apple, Samsung, Disney, Unilever, IBM, HSBC, Air France, Alibaba, and then in the in the logistics uh, space, a whole ton in there as well. So DHL, Kuna Nagel, FedEx, GWC, UPS, you know, and a whole bunch of others that I forget. How, how did you manage to, or not you personally, but how did TradeShift manage to onboard the likes of such big players in, in industry? Uh, that, 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 that's a really good question, and uh, and it boils down to I think the business model. And, and the business model is we're a platform-based business, um, and we use apps and supplier network. Uh, and essentially, a real example is if you look at Kuna Nagel, they were one of our first customers. They at some point uh, ten years ago or so said, "We buy into what you crazy guys are trying to do. We buy into your vision for." for supply chain and, 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 and the kind of platform approach. So we'll become your customer. It's fine, we onboarded all their suppliers, managed all of their uh, uh, accounts payable automation, e-invoicing, things like that. Went on to do trade financing, but kind of that, that, that was at the core at the time. And then a couple of years later, DHL were in the market for, for a solution like this and kind of had the option they can go to one of, one of the, the, the typical players in the market and start from scratch. So you essentially start from zero. Or they can come to us and they kind of looked at our suppliers and Kuna Nagel and, uh, and DHL had an overlap of suppliers. So about 30% of DHL suppliers were already on board because there were Kuna Nagel suppliers. So you start to see some, some kind of some benefits there in the business model straight away. So they can, they can almost break even straight away, almost start to move, you know, accelerate the process by two, three, four years because normally traditionally onboarding suppliers takes a long time. And then was DHL do that? You know, FedEx, you know, a couple of years later, come and have a look at it and they say exactly the same thing. Um, we can see that maybe 30, 40% of their suppliers are, are across Kuna Nagel and DHL. Then the same for UPS, then the same for GWC, and then the same, et cetera, et cetera. So you see an interesting knock-on effect. So the trick really is to motivate suppliers to want to participate add value for them, make it easy, make it free. And, um, uh, and then, you know, that in itself adds value for the buy side. And it kind of creates this, this feedback loop and uh, a you know, positive network effect where more suppliers adds more values for the buyers, more buyers adds more value for the suppliers and so on, and it grows and grows. Uh, you talked about apps and make it 
No, I, I'm used to, as a consumer, using an app. So if I wanted to order an Uber, I download the Uber app or the Kareem app, and then I book my taxi on it. But in business, I'm not used to downloading an app for my business. How, how does that work? Yeah, and you see, I'm just going to reach to pick up my smartphone to give you the example. So uh, if you think about your smartphone, uh, the hardware is the platform. I've got an iPhone here with a slightly cracked screen, but I've got apps from, from Google, from Apple, from Microsoft, from all sorts of third-party providers. And, and our CEO kind of hit the nail on the head uh, on a recent uh, presentation. And he said, how is it, you know, we're so good at home. I've got an iPad in front of me. I've got a laptop over here. I've got a phone over here, all digitally connected, information shared across all of them. How is it we're so good at home, but so lame at work? And, and essentially what TradeShift is doing is taking that platform approach, that supplier network approach and that app approach to, to in, into the business world. Uh, so that organizations, you know, once you have your suppliers onboarded into the same platform, you know, DHL or something like that only needs to connect with it once. Each one of those suppliers only needs to connect with it once. And then you can start downloading other applications. So when our customers ask us, you know, does your, you know, does TradeShift do X process? Well, maybe we do it in our existing applications, but maybe we don't. So we have a, a, a group of third-party partners, um, which are in some cases are actually hosted on, on the TradeShift platform. In, in most cases are integrated with the TradeShift platform. So you can download and activate those apps relatively quickly, you know, it, almost instantaneously. You can go live with them very quickly. And it's a little bit like if you add a new address book uh, app onto your phone. You, you know, the days of re-entering all of your contact names and addresses and, and telephone numbers are, are, are gone. And TradeShift seeks to replicate that. So, you know, if you've gone live with our accounts payable, you might want to add on to, you know, uh, e-procurement or contract management or e-sourcing or something like that. Uh, and essentially, once you, you activate those, you can import suppliers into that application. So it cuts down the need to, uh, onboard suppliers every time you have a new application and do integration work between your legacy systems and your new systems. So it cuts out a lot of the pain points, both for the buy side and for the supplier side. So it, it would also improve, I know a lot about uh, mobility, not I know a lot, but I hear a lot about mobility and about being able to have your office on the go. There's another stat I saw, there's something like 6 billion plus smartphones in the world today. I don't think we've got six million individuals. Yeah. We've got maybe seven and a half billion. But uh, I think each of us has got one or two old smartphones in a drawer somewhere that's never going to work. The old BlackBerry, um, the old Nokia. Um, but it's still yeah. that uh, smartphones are very prevalent. So are you saying that you're bringing business processes to people's smartphones? Does that mean I don't need my ERP anymore? I've spent millions of pounds investing in my SAP um, my Microsoft Dynamics, yeah. Do, yeah. Do. Well, I mean, yeah. So, so we're not just bringing it to the smartphone. The smartphone was more of a metaphor. So you can, you, of course, you can do it all on the smartphone. And you're absolutely right. Smartphones are everywhere now, and even countries that are still starting to mature. You know, China, Africa. You know, over the last you know decade or so, you've seen the rise of. Of, uh, of smartphones grow enormously. But you're absolutely right. You know, most organizations, mature and sizable organizations, 
have invested a lot of money and time and effort in deploying ERP systems. And uh, I, I, they're, they're probably here to stay. I think maybe some of my co colleagues might debate that, but I think at least short term, they're here to stay. They are large strategic um, uh, deployments and investments in an organization. And they kind of act as the heart and lungs of most organizations. But it, it, if you think of it as they're like your uh, Airbus A380, you know, they're fantastic at, you know, you fill it up and you can fly from Dubai to London very efficiently. Um, but actually they're, they're not very good at getting you from the airport to your hotel or from your airport to your hotel to the office or, or to home, et cetera. And that's really where other applications come in kind of outside the ERP infrastructure. And there's a rich infrastructure there and TradeShift is, uh, is one of those. And, uh, and yeah, who knows, maybe one day we'll be replacing ERPs, but I think, I suspect not for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So I understand uh, TradeShift is a cloud software. Now I saw a headline the other day that said SaaS is dead, software is a shared service. Um, what's next? So people are already saying, are we moving along? But cloud software has only just arrived, but yeah. you're still trying to get hold of the concept. Where does, how does TradeShift and apps and cloud software work together then for our viewers? Can you enlighten us? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting view. Uh, software as a service is dead. I mean, re really, it, it, it's not dead. It's, it's, it's more fundamental to business than ever. But I think probably the phrase cloud or software as a service is going to disappear. And um, we were talking about this the other day that, you know, it, you know, when electricity came along, you'd have electrical hair dryers, electrical vacuum cleaners, electrical this, and they just became vacuum cleaners and hair dryers. And it's exactly the same with software. Software nowadays is, is you know, for the most part is cloud-based. Um, very little software is still installed. Uh, in, in, it's, it's just a really inefficient way of, of deploying software. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the subscription approach that software as a service brings is much, much more cost-effective, much easier to deploy. And, uh, you know, it, ju it just makes much more common sense. And you've kind of got some of the world's best hosting organizations. You have people like, you know, African web, uh, Amazon Web Services uh, and those guys, you know, providing world-class services um, at a fraction of what would have cost a decade ago. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting approach. I mean, even in my days in procurement, we used to talk about e-sourcing and, you know, e-contract management and things like that. And, and of course, it, it's no longer that. The he was dropped a long time ago. It's just the way sourcing is done and it's just the way sourcing is, is deployed and operated. That's a, um, that's a real light bulb phrase and moment, that period seen for me. Um, you just demystified the, the entire uh, transformation in my mind for technology, uh, Dan. So thanks very much for that. Probably oversimplified it. No, no, <laughs> there, might, just, there might be a few experts uh, with uh, some other opinions. But. No, you just un unraveled a whole lot of wires in my head and uh, made things a hell of a lot more simple for a baby boomer. Uh, in terms of where technology is and where it's going. Sorry, Mark, back to you, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, that's, that's one of the things um, I, I was thinking about as well, is people having the right skills to be able to understand this technology. Um, you still need, you've got, we've got all this software, all this technology. You still need people to write the software and people that understand how to use it and how to implement it. Um, and one of the ones I see is we're missing a lot of skills in the workforce that's coming through, through the uh, millennials, the Gen Zs, um, they all want to be YouTubers. 
Um, they don't want to do the, the nitty gritty stuff as we we would call it in supply chain, and therefore we need to upskill our current workforce and our current people. And um, how are you finding it? Um, what to find people? Uh, one to develop yourself for, but two to do the implementations. Yeah, I mean, there are some just fundamentals in businesses that are just I just don't think are ever going to go away, and uh, and and it really only comes with experience or a certain mindset. So you know, cross-functional working and cross-functional skills is is critical. You know, leadership is absolutely important. Um, you know, without leadership and top-down leadership to you know set the vision point people in the right direction, invest in the right places. You know, a lot of these things just don't happen and organizations stand still. And, and as we know, standing still as a business is, uh, you know, if you're not standing still, somebody else is moving forwards and essentially you're moving backwards. You know, we're seeing lots of things like, you know, uh, the rise of kind of analytics and uh, and the need to interpret analytics and big data and, and solve problems behind it. And essentially, you can kind of wrap a lot of that up around you know, leaders and, and, and managers and business people that are digital savvy. And it doesn't necessarily mean they have a Facebook account, but it means that they they know their way around um, you know the the, the, the the benefits that uh, you know digitalization can bring and you know the difference between digitization of a of a document and digitalization of a process and how it all fits together and the various tools that, that are available to do that and, and and ultimately many businesses will still have you know they have their core skills internally um, but they'll outsource and look look to the market for other non-core skills that are still you know might be critical to their success or critical to the success of a, a particular project, uh, and that's where we work with uh, partners and, and and you guys at Logistics Executive are you know are, I think are probably extremely well placed um, you know in the market to kind of identify these uh, these kind of opportunities and provide some some of the the skills that the organizations don't have and the, you know technology providers like us don't necessarily bring you know some deeper skills or or frankly a new view or understanding what is best practice out there in the market so we we've, we partner with um, some of the world's uh, you know leading uh, consultancies business process outsourcing firms and you know and, and people like yourself so yeah there's still huge opportunity out there and uh, and even as things progress it creates different types of jobs and different types of, of skill sets. I think the trick is keep your skills up to date as much as possible and don't get left behind, I think is probably the, the most important advice there. The, the big question that everybody asks me uh, when I'm out uh, talking to customers is, how are you going to make my business more efficient? Uh, how are you going to save me money? Yeah, that's what everybody's looking for today, to become more profitable. Is that something that TradeShift is able to do for me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think if you don't have a strong value proposition, you know, you, you, you're just kind of out, out, out of business. Um, so, so we have a strong value proposition, both for the buyers and the suppliers. And probably the easiest way to do that is rather than just reel off some stats is you know, maybe just talk about a, a few real examples. So, you know, I, I think what one of the, the, the examples I like, because it shows enormous global scale, is Unilever. And now, no. Not every one of our customers is as big as Unilever, but you know they've got something like 300 brands. There, you know, they they operate in 100 countries, um, you know, and and we help them get to the point where they have self-service, fully digital, fully exception-free e-invoicing. You know, we onboarded 5,000 suppliers in the first four weeks, something like 20,000 in over 100 uh, uh, countries eventually, and 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 previous to that. Um, you know, they've got 20 million invoices a year that they have to manage. And, and these are everything from, you know, 
uh, faxes to uh, paper-based to uh, PDFs, emails, things like that. And actually, you know, it's, it's an ugly paper-driven, very manual, clunky process that uh, really most organizations in this day and age should have kind of moved away from a, a long time ago. But because it's considered, you know, not supplier facing or sorry not customer facing it didn't necessarily get the priority it needs but of course suppliers are mission critical they're really important so and if you've got 20 million invoices now i know that unilever were touching them three times so that's uh, you know 60 million uh, tasks you know 120 million eyeballs um you know you're having to do those tasks on a regular basis but if you can kind of digitalize that process uh, automate that process so it takes out some of the labor becomes much more self-service um, uh, and then you know it helps the business grow it can then scale and you know to use that cliche you can then kind of do more with less uh, and essentially they they've moved to fully self-service their support teams that were managing all of that are now doing other things in the business and you can start to reassign resources to things that are a bit more value adding and maybe a bit more mission critical you know, and there are some other stats. We look at some of the other examples. You know, one of our other, Kuninagel, I've mentioned already, um, you know, they have 8 million invoices a year, maybe not quite as big as, uh, as Unilever, but, you know, very complex in 160 countries. You know, and, you know, we moved uh, 30,000 suppliers onto in invoicing. You know, we extended their days payable uh, by 23 days, which gave them a, uh, a 70 million euro working capital improvement. So, so some kind of very tangible, very real benefits. And, uh, and of course, what we're trying to do is give those benefits to the suppliers as well. So to give them value, to make it free, easy, tell them when their information is available, you know, so they can see the status of their purchase orders. They can see, um, uh, you, know, you know, when they were received, when they were approved, when they're being paid. And, and, and many of our customers are also uh, taking that a step further to supply chain financing and giving those suppliers the ability to get paid in as little as two working days. So it has working capital benefits both for the buy side and for the supply side as well. And, and when you're doing that, that's when that network effect really starts to kick in and, uh, and we start to see yeah, that's why we've, you know, we, we now have something like $25 billion a month in transactions running through the trade shift platform on a business that's really only just a little over 10 years old. So it's quite phenomenal and, and growing crazily. What struck me about uh, when you said that the 20 million invoices and touching it three times in the, it's shocking. In, in the last year, I can only think about how much hand sanitizer would have been needed in, in order to uh, disinfect the hands of people <laughs> that would have to, to, to touch those. Um, so, yeah, because everybody was so afraid in the last year about with COVID and the pandemic, touching surfaces, touching paper. So you're saying you removed yeah. paperwork from the business, so therefore you removed the problem that the problem didn't exist in their business? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, the, the pandemic has really shown uh, how we can be driven to change and how we've uh, needed to pivot. Um, but I also see some drivers being that uh, governments are now mandating that you need to have the likes of e-invoicing in order to be able to do business with them because they need to reduce their cost as well. They've got less taxes, less income coming in. So they're looking at all avenues, um, especially in the cloud software field. So again, is that something that you're saying? I've seen, is it Saudi Arabia, yeah. Egypt have mandated e-invoicing? 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and India just before that and, um, and Latin America as well. Yeah, it's, it's, a massive, um, it's a massive trend that we're seeing. And the predictions are that it's, you know, once, once Saudi Arabia and, and Egypt do it, it you know, the, everybody's expecting it to flow through to the rest of the, the GCC countries over the next few years. Um, it's predicted that most of the world will mandate e-invoicing um, uh, by 2030. Um, and, and essentially, it's governments are using it to track VAT and taxation. Um, typically, what governments do is they audit after the event. And of course, that's relatively inefficient. And, uh, and the, yeah, I, I'm guessing there are probably loopholes in there as well. Whereas actually, if you know, a, a, an invoice is a legal document, if that goes to a government organization to get validated and approved before it goes to the, to, to the buyer, um, you know, they can keep a track on uh, you know, the taxation, the value added tax, et cetera. So it's a, you know, it, it, it's a definite trend. Um, and it's worth, it's worth kind of trying to get ahead of that trend as much as possible. So it's not a, a painful thing that you have to try and, um, you know, initiate and, and deploy, you know, under time pressure. But you're right, Egypt have done it to, you know, last year and kind of flowing into this year. Um, Saudi Arabia have mandated it already this year and start policing it from the end of uh, the end of this year and the end of 2021. And um, yeah, and it, it, it's not going away. Um, but yeah, but even apart from that, I would say don't just do it because it's mandated, do it because it makes good business sense and uh, it tidies up a process. I mean, one of the other things that we've seen is it really interestingly, kind of just before the pandemic broke, there was a um, there was kind of an announcement by something like 200 of, of, of the US's biggest businesses. And these are big, hard nosed CEOs and procurement uh, directors from very strong businesses. And they basically said, no longer are we going to be just um, uh, you know, stakeholder focus, sorry, uh, shareholder focused and manage for shareholder management. We're going to be more stakeholder focused. And those stakeholders are the community, the environment, and the suppliers. And it was kind of really interesting to see something like that come out that actually the health of suppliers and paying suppliers on time and uh, you know, helping suppliers operate and, and, and it actually not only does it keep suppliers alive and it keeps your flow of goods and services coming, but actually, you know, they bring you more innovation. They, um, you know, they'll see you as a buyer of, uh, you know, preferred buyer and, uh, and prioritize you know, new products and things like that towards you. So we're starting to see kind of a change in the marketplace as well. So I would say doing these things to help out the suppliers, most that's what most of our customers are doing. Very few of them are doing it you know, certainly when it comes to trade financing anyway, they're not necessarily doing it to extend payment terms, they're doing it to help out the suppliers and, uh, and to manage supply chain risks and, and just, you know, for the whole supply chain to become much more resilient against kind of supply chain and, uh, you know, global shocks as we've seen in 2020. Uh, corporate social responsibility is a really hot topic at the minute everywhere. Um, everyone's talking about it and if you're not on the so to speak, and promoting it within your organization and not without outside your organization. Yeah, shareholders are moving their investments uh, elsewhere, and share prices could fall on the, the back of it in the future. Um, but that's again going green is another reason for we were all about saving the rainforest 18 months, two years ago, before the pandemic. Brazil was burning down, and we were talking about, uh, and again, paper is a big driver of that. And it's funny how in two years everybody's focus can change. And we don't know what's yeah. going to come down the line in another 18 months. Yeah, 
Yeah, when, when your survival is at stake and you know, your, your business and market share at the best, but survival in some cases at stake, you have to focus on the near-term problems. And, and unfortunately, it's to the detriment of long-term problems. But, but we're definitely, I think, I think it will come back around. I think once business gets you know, a little bit more uh, you know, stronger and a, a bit more resilient, I think, I think we'll see that. I think already in, in procurement, I'd started to see it sewn into contracts. And uh, an organization starting to understand the sphere of influence they have down the supply chain. Your large organizations are using the supply chain as a lever to improve not only the goods and services they buy, but the goods and services their suppliers are selling. So uh, you know, procurement and supply chain management has got a, a huge opportunity here. And uh, a lot of companies are doing some, some, some making some fantastic uh, uh, changes and, and positive movements in that respect. So, yeah, Dan, you've g- given us some really uh, good examples of how uh, digitization is impacting the supply chain and how the companies out there can possibly uh, improve uh, their invoicing processes, make them paperless, how they can use cloud software better, uh, all for the, their benefit. But we, we like to finish up our podcast by asking our guests for their, their top tips for business um what what would yours be okay well i i, I guess I, I can humbly offer a few um I, and i think some of it is 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 you know just kind of my experience in the market over, over the years kind of working in procurement supply chain some of it is trade shifts experience as well so i i, I think one of the things i've learned from trade shift is is just the criticality of suppliers and that if you're going to do anything, you know, you need to offer a carrot, not a stick. It's, it's just so, so critical to everything. You know, you might, your project might break even if you onboard 20, 30% of your suppliers, if you're lucky. It could take you years to do that if you're not doing it properly. But if you do it properly, you can onboard, you know, you can digitize 100% of your suppliers. But if you get 80 or 90% of your suppliers on board, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's a real, you know, that, that, that's a world of difference in, in the success of your project and, and the, the subsequent value it, it it adds for 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 your your organization as well as the supply chain so i think you have to encourage and motivate supplier participation i I think one of the key stats is that something like 66 67 percent of digital transformation projects fail to meet their stated objectives and i think in the supply chain that's because you know a lot of buying and procurement guys, they're very used to kind of demanding what the supply chain does and, and taking a stick approach, not a carrot approach. And, uh, and I, I think understanding it from their perspective, making it free and easy, creating value for them, you know, trade shifts experience and that as we've seen, you know, a huge success. Um, I would also say kind of don't underestimate kind of onboarding and integrating with legacy systems. Um, but kind of as I spoke about that, that, you know, there is an easier way of doing that. Um, also kind of looking at to, to leverage the benefits of supplier networks. Supplier networks are absolutely the future. Um, I, I think that kind of one-to-one relationship where I'm a supplier selling to one buyer, I have to you know, integrate with his ERP system, his or her ERP system. You know, I, I have to register on their portal. I have to jump through a lot of hoops. I have to provide them a lot of information. And then I have to do the same for my other 50 uh, customers. Uh, and of course, it just doesn't happen. The, the, the top customers get the, the top priority and everybody else gets forgotten. And we call that kind of portal fatigue. So you know, networks are a much more many-to-many uh, approach and it streamlines the processes for both sides. 
Um, I'd also say kind of think, you know, try and think two steps ahead as well. So don't just think about kind of what you're doing and what problems you're trying to solve, but think about what strategic options you're going to develop for the future, you know, and kind of what, what resilience are you, are you building? Um, you know, we, I kind of talk a lot about, you know, the, 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 the mantra from the kind of the, the dot-com days, which is, you know, now very much uh, the, also the mantra for, uh, you know, digital transformation is think big, start small, scale fast. So think big, think across not just your whole enterprise and your whole organization, but down the supply chain and how the impact you can make in the supply chain. But, but you know, be realistic, start small, you know, don't try and boil the ocean, start with one particular process that's particularly painful, like accounts payable or something like that. Digitize the process, use that to, to lay the strong foundations that will allow you to do other things, you know, such as trade financing, B2B marketplaces, things like that. And then, you know, once you've kind of proved the concept there, scale fast and, uh, you know, try and pick a partner that can help you to, to scale fast, will allow you to rapidly deploy uh, new solutions that, uh, you know, add value quickly. Hey, Dan, some, some really good points there. Thanks for that insight. And uh, I'm sure our audience will be able to pick up some real, uh, some real hot points from that. Uh, I traditionally uh, like to, uh, to wrap up by um, asking our, our guests, what are the one or two things that they look for when bringing people onboarding them into their company? Now, you guys have obviously been scaling very fast after following through and getting the business organised and, and initiated. Um, but, but I know that you're recruiting a lot of people around the world to, to bring in the talent that you need to drive that, that growth forward and meet customer demand. What would be the one or two things from you as an employer that you'd be looking for from talent generically coming into your organization and to trade you? What a great question. Um, okay, well, I, I guess I, I can answer that one quite confidently because I, I built the, the, the team over the last year or two. And uh, I, I've been very fortunate to, to have a great, a great bunch of guys. So I'm, uh, it's, it, yeah, we've, seen, we've done something well. So I think, um, I think there's a number of things. I think, we're very fortunate that we're an interesting business doing innovative new things and, uh, you know, and creative, innovative, A-type people want to be part of that. So I think that, that, that is lucky and not every organization has that, but trade shift has that interest and you know, guys that, you know, people that tend to know a little bit about us, they see that and they, they kind of want to be part of this journey. And, you know, we've scaled from nothing to, you know, as we're scaling at the moment, we're, you know, I mentioned $25 billion, but we're still growing and we've got a long, long way to go. So, so I think probably somebody who's excited by that journey understands that, it's hard work. <laughs> um, you know, we don't necessarily always have the resources we want. We have to go into new territories where our brand is not necessarily well known. So it's, you know, somebody who can kind of live with that kind of hard work and that challenge, but is motivated by it. And, um, you know, and, and also, you know, but we also kind of want people to kind of bring their A game. Um, you know, people with good, solid experience that are, you know, seasoned professionals in, in their area that can, can, can bring something to trade shift. And, uh, you know, I'm, I must say that 
not just the team that we've built here, but the team in TradeShift all around. It's super motivated. You know, I think some of the things that jump out when you look at the TradeShift team is huge, hugely bought into the vision. I think that the, the, the board and the founders have created an amazing, amazing vision. The vast majority of uh, the, the business are completely bought into it 100%. Strong values as well. So the vision around the business model is one thing, but, but actually having good strong values that people can align to is really important. And, um, you know, I, I think that I think partly there's also just about you know, just seeing a huge opportunity to be involved in something. So you think about what, you know, what Facebook is, has done for social connections, what uh, LinkedIn is doing for uh, professional connections. TradeShift is doing the same for commercial connections. And, uh, and, it's, and it's exciting. It's exciting time to be with a business. It's uh, exciting to see our growth. Um, you know, growing from small, you know, sometimes a bit bumpy. So you have to be able to, you know, take the rough, rough with the smooth as well and, and just soldier on. And I think, you know, be bought into the vision, but also be bought into genuinely wanting to, to help our customers and, and to make a change. And, uh, I, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting times as well in, in the industry yeah, as well as with trade shift. Brilliant. Well, appreciate the feedback. So, um, hey, Mark, before we wrap up, any final questions from you or comments from you? No, Kim, I'm uh, all done today. Okay, fantastic. Hey, Dan, really appreciate you giving us the time. You've expanded the narrative around data and solving customer problems through platforms that cover not only the data analytics, but solving the, the commercial solutions as well. Uh, it sounds like TradeShift has got a massive future ahead of it. Uh, you really are solving some major issues for customers. So well done to you guys, you, you people in the business. Um, in terms of uh, our audience, thanks so much for everybody for joining us and giving up your time. Uh, we traditionally like to thank uh, all of the first responders, everybody keeping us safe, health and wellness right across the board during this uh, tricky period we're navigating to everybody who's working hard in the supply chain to get the vaccines out, all those administering it, um, and to our audience, please stay safe, mask up, stay distant, wash your hands, and uh, be good to each other. Peace, everybody. Thanks, thanks, Dan, and thanks, Mark. Very good. Thanks, Jim. Very good. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Mark.